0: Well, if you have your Bibles today, and I hope you do, would you take them and turn to Mark chapter 9. Mark, the gospel of Mark chapter 9. We're starting a new series today that we've called Prayers to Jesus. This is kind of a a part two of a series we did, oh, about a year ago that we called Pray Like Jesus. Um, I I don't know about you, um, but when I've um, done Bible studies or heard sermons or even preached sermons about praying like Jesus, I I confess, I sometimes walk away going, I don't know if I can ever do that. I don't know if I could ever really pray like Jesus prays. I don't know if I could often withdraw to lonely places and and pray. I don't know if I could spend the evening uh, praying, you know, pull a prayer all-nighter and then somehow effectively minister to people the next day. I, I don't know on the most difficult night of my life, when I know that I'm facing excruciating pain and something I don't know what to do, I don't know if I could honestly pray, pray Father, you, your will, not mine, be done, and then get up and carry that out. I, 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 I'll admit, I sometimes wonder, can I really pray like Jesus? So, so what we're doing in this series, the goal of this series is to look at what other people... Have prayed to Jesus. People like you and me, who, if we're to be honest, struggle with prayer and don't always know what to say to God in prayer, don't always know how to approach God in this thing we call prayer. When it comes right down to it, I don't want to be like this son who wrote this letter to his father Dear Dad, school is really great. I'm making lots of friends and studying very hard. With all of my stuff, I simply can't think of anything I need. So if you would like, you can just send me a card, as I would love to hear from you. Love, your son. I, uh, I think that's pretty smooth. Uh, I've got to admit it was creative. If you're looking at the screen, you, uh, you see the subliminal message. I think the, the student was probably taking a philosophy course or a psychology course or something, with all those dollar signs, trying to uh, subliminally tell his dad what he needed. I I guess I don't mind you know writing a letter like that, but I don't want to get the dad's response. Dear son, I know that astronomy and economics and ocean well, are, are enough to keep even an honor student busy. Do not forget that the pursuit of knowledge is a noble task and you can never study enough. Love dad. I think that's what we call a hashtag dad joke. (laughs) So over the course of this series, what we're going to do is we're going to look at uh, various people throughout the Gospels who cried out to Jesus in some kind of prayer with the hope of continuing to shape and develop uh, our vocabulary, not just the specific words, but the way that we pray with continuing to shape our heart and our posture so that we have a sense that we're praying in a way that that God hears and responds to. So today we're starting in Mark 9. The specific conversation that we're going to look at today is, is one in the midst of uh, kind of four interactions or four conversations going on in this passage. Uh, this, this conversation, this prayer happens after the transfiguration. You may remember Jesus went up on the mountain with uh, three of his followers, had this incredible encounter with Moses and Elijah, uh, and, and this happens as they come back down the mountain. So what we're going to do today is we're going to read this passage like I said, it's one of kind of four interactions or four conversations. Uh, uh, I'm going to kind of highlight those conversations. They're in your notes. If you're feeling that notes, you can make some, some comments. I'll make comments on those conversations. Then we're going to circle around and we're done. And we're going to look specifically at the prayer that this dad offers Jesus. So Mark 9, starting at verse 14. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? Jesus asked. Dad, raise your hands if you can relate to what Jesus is feeling here. He's just had like the best day that he's had in a long time. And uh, you probably had this. You walk home, into the house from work and the kids and mom are arguing and you have no idea what they're arguing. Is it only in my house that this happens or happened? Apparently. Okay, good. We've got another taker. I thought we were abnormal. Okay, so that's kind of what Jesus is feeling here. Like he comes down the mountain, his disciples are arguing with religious leaders and and he doesn't even know what's up. He doesn't know what's going on. And, and, uh, And certainly that arguing affects what's going to play out here. But it doesn't last long because before long, um, the, the conversation turns from what's going on with the arguing to desperation. Notice verse 17. A man in the crowd answered, "'Teacher, I brought you my son.'" And in Luke's version of this story, he tells us this was the man's only son. "'So, Teacher, I brought you my only son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech.'" whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth and gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid, which sounds an awful lot to us in the scientific age, a medical age, like um, perhaps it's epilepsy. Maybe the kid is, uh, you know, has epileptic seizures and, uh, and, and we're not really sure. The, the text certainly talks about it in the sense that uh, the boy is demon-possessed. You'll see that in a minute, or, or actually you already saw it. Uh, he's, he's possessed by a spirit. And so what's going on here? I, I mean, I, I don't know, um, except that a dad has a son with an issue that dad and son can't control. Dad, is there anything that cuts more to a dad's heart than being powerless, to address what your kids are dealing with? This dad has no answers. And he comes seeking answers. It's interesting that in, in, uh, in the text, although they may be in the pre-scientific age, they had the ability to discern between demon possession and epilepsy. That's clear in Matthew's gospel where they're able to divide those afflictions we're going to operate under the assumption that there's evil at work here because that's what the text says and and we have to trust that they knew what they were talking about. But this dad is at a point where he can't do anything about it. So he brings the boy to Jesus' disciples. He says, I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. So not only is the dad desperate, but if you read between the lines of the story, Um, certainly the disciples are desperate too, and we'll see that again in a few minutes. But but they're going, hold on a second. Jesus has given us authority to to drive out demons and to heal people. Why can't why couldn't we do this one? I mean, they've got egg on their face. Their master just returned from the mountain and and they couldn't do what he'd given them authority to do. The the disciples are going, Whoa, what's what's wrong here? What's going on? They're desperate too. Verse 19. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? And I don't know about you, but if I'm to be honest, that verse alone probably makes me insecure about my ability to pray. That verse alone, when I read it, causes me to say, if the disciples who had the authority to drive out demons and heal people and saw Jesus at work, if Jesus deemed them as unbelieving, I have no hope. If he gets frustrated with them when things are way over their head, I have no hope. Am I the only one that's ever read that and felt that way? I see you online raising your hand. Thank you. I took a little time to study that verse this week because it troubles me. We hear it with our ears. Maybe you hear it similarly to, to how I do. Likely, they heard it with Old Testament ears. You see, it wasn't unusual for God to address Israel this way in the Old Testament to uh, to challenge them on their unbelief. We, To us, it sounds like, like reproof and rebuke, but to them, it it had a... A fatherly ring to it. Likely. We, we, there's a sense in which they heard it. They heard Jesus saying this, and their minds would have gone, He's drawing us back to our Heavenly Father. He's reminding us of our Heavenly Father who, uh, who's always brought us back, who's always worked in our lives, who's, uh, who's always, even when we've been faithless, always been faithful verse 19, bring the boy to me, Jesus said. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And so now we see that this father's desperation is justified. Unlike when I take my car to the mechanic and it won't make the sound, the boy, the, the father brings his boy to Jesus and the boy does exactly, the spirit, the demon, whatever, does exactly what the father had said it had been doing. There is no doubt This father, his desperation is is legitimate. Verse 21, Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, the father answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, he prayed, he cried out, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. And this is where the next conversation starts. Jesus begins to hear submission. Verse 25, when Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, that's the submission, convulsed the boy violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. Now things are happening on two levels in this story right here. On the one level, we see that Jesus addressed the issue. The demon is gone, but the boy is dead. Not exactly the solution that dad came asking for. But it's not the end of the story. Verse 27, Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. The translators worked really hard here to make sure that it didn't sound wooden and unreadable. A more literal translation would say, and this is important to see what's happening on the second level, Jesus took him by the hand and raised him and the boy rose. You see, Mark's using resurrection language here. He's giving us a a hint at what's to come. For those who um, would read this not knowing what had happened with Jesus of Nazareth, uh, it was a hint at what's to come. For, For most people who are reading Mark, they're going, wait a second. This is it. This is a sneak peek. Because soon, God the Father is going to deal with evil, and he's going to do it through his son, Jesus Christ. And it's going to cost him his life for God to deal with evil the way that he wants to. But just like the demon submitted here to Jesus, just like death submitted here to Jesus, so death will submit to God the Father as Jesus raises, as God, the Father, raises Jesus from the dead. Which leads us to the final conversation of this encounter. Jesus hears questions. Verse 28, after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. So there's a lot going on here, but today we want to focus on the prayer of the dad in this encounter. Look with me again at verse 17. A man in the crowd answered me, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. You don't really have to be present at this encounter. You don't really even have to be a dad to get how desperate The situation is. Scripture doesn't tell us this, but I think it's fair to assume that by this point, this dad has done everything that he can to find freedom for his son. He has likely been to the local synagogue multiple times and done everything the synagogue leader, or we would say pastor, has told him to do. He's probably exhausted all of the family wealth trying to find a healing, a solution, a freedom for his son. And again, we don't know, but it's likely or it's possible that that what was happening with his son, this infliction, this infestation that his son had, could have even cost the man his marriage. You'll notice there was no mother or no wife mentioned actually in any of the gospel records about this encounter. This is a desperate situation. This father is willing and ready and already has been trying everything. We don't know. We don't know yet if this dad brought his son to Jesus because he really believes that Jesus can heal him or if this is his, his next or last desperate attempt to just be done, to just have his son healed and freed. Now, of course, we've read this story before. We we know the whole gospel, and so we're at this point already going, yeah, Jesus is on the case. This thing's done with. It's over. Solved. Notice the last five words of verse 19 again. Bring the boy to me. Bring the boy to me, verse 20. So they brought him. This is a good sign. Obedience is crucial to the unfolding will of God in our lives. The only way God accomplishes in our lives, dads in our children's lives, granddads in our grandchildren's lives, the only way God accomplishes his will is when we obey When we do what he's asked us to do, nothing stands more to interrupt the will of God, the unfolding will of God in our lives, than our unwillingness to obey. When God asks us to do something, we must be willing to do it, regardless of what we think about it in the moment. Thankfully, there was obedience here. Mark continues, when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And this is exactly what the dad had said, right? This is what's been happening his whole life, and it happens. It plays out in